You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Hello. How are you guys this morning? You sounded beautiful in worship. I just got to brag on that worship team. Can we give it up for them again? It's really, it's really exciting for me as the leader to uh, just see people like stepping into their calling and getting out there and leading you guys out. Plus, we've got great musicians. So if you've got musician friends or singer friends, you need to out them to me so that I can get them on my team, okay? Well, let's bow our heads in prayer, and we're just going to kick this morning off right. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come and take us even deeper. God, we just enter back into that posture of awe and worship and praise that we've come out of. God, we connect back with our spirit and Holy Spirit. We open up our heart to you this morning, and we just invite you in. Come on in. Rearrange the furniture. Do whatever you want to do this morning. Amen? Hey, I'm super excited today. Are you guys ready for this room to get lit up? Um, Holy Spirit, come and light this room on fire. I'm so excited about this word. I have never been excited about a time I preached ever before in my life except today. Normally, it's the alarm goes off at 6.30, and I wake up like, no. And today, I woke up and just thought, yes, this is going to be awesome because Man, I've shifted gears in my own life to where, you know, when God asks you to do something, it may be hard, but his burden is still light. Amen. And we get to carry the joy of the Lord into the things that he calls us into. And so even though like, you know, the same the same things happen to us and Jory and April every time we preach, it's like the enemy tries to come that week and bring distraction. But Mercy and I just grabbed each other's hands and we prayed against it, man. And the enemy fled from us. And I was able to hear from the Lord and just go to the word and not it ministered to me, okay? And so I believe that there's going to be some freedom released in this house today. Amen. Does anybody want some freedom in their lives? I believe there's going to be some salvations in the house today. Amen. Does anyone want to see some salvations today? Okay, I, got, I need you guys, maybe you don't hear what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm really excited. I think that God's going to do some things this morning. Is anyone excited about the things that God's going to do? No, because I'm serious. April said this. April said this in Dream Team. If you don't come to Dream Team 920 in the back in Java Casa, we have donuts. You need to get there, okay? She said this in Dream Team, but I believe that right now we are in revival. Right now. This is what it looks like. We're not drumming it up. It's not one single moment in time. It's this movement of Holy Spirit in our lives that brings us back to the baseline and sets us into motion doing the things that God's called us to do in our lives. And that is happening right now. I don't know if you've noticed. Maybe, it, maybe it's for you, maybe it's not. But I'm, I'm hoping we can really talk about a lot of that this morning. Okay, you guys good? Okay. Okay. This morning my message is called A Jesus People. And um, I'm going to start by kind of giving you a, a state of the encounter services. How many of you attended any of our encounter services through the fall, last fall? Did you like them? You know, one thing I love about this house is that 
everything that Jory and the elders push us to do is, is very strategic. There's nothing that we're doing that I feel like is wasted time or energy. We really try to maximize our efforts with the efforts of the Holy Spirit to get in step with what God's doing. Because how many of you know that it's a better idea to do what God is blessing than trying to get God to bless what you're doing? That's just a way better plan. And in those encounter nights, we set out to really create space even through deeper for you guys to connect in a deeper way with Holy Spirit. And we are seeing people come into this place of worship they've never been in before. And we are seeing bodies get healed. Amen? For real. We saw bodies, people that are in this room right now, I know the testimonies of bodies that were healed and people never went back to the way that they were. There's full healing. And... um. We're, con- we're planning on continuing those encounter services, and so I really wanted to just encourage you to block out that time. Our next one is on March 29th, and really what that looks like is it's an extended time of worship where we just open ourselves up to Holy Spirit and ask him, hey, what are you doing? And we just try to respond to it right in the moment, okay? It's not that mystical. It's not that weird, but we, we, we really try to connect to his heart, amen? So how many of you are going to be at the next encounter night? All right, that pitch went well, I can tell. Let's try it again. How many of you are going to be at that next encounter night? I think it's important, man. It's 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 one thing to um it's one thing to talk about impact, to talk about having impact in Moore County and to romanticize the idea of seeing Dumas and Moore County and Sunray and Cactus changed. It's another thing to come in to the place of worship together and let God change us from the inside out and walk out transformed. Transformed people are the people who bring transformation. Amen? You got to get changed on the inside if you want to see someone. You can't give away what you don't got. Right? Amen? And these are the times that we're coming in as a family and we're just going, come on, God. Come on, light us up. Okay. Let's talk about a Jesus people. Let's talk about revival culture. And really what, we're, what I'm really aiming for today is I want, I want to not only just recap our encounter services and tell you why that we're doing it, but I also kind of want to signal to you where we're going as a community and what that's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, and how it's going to affect us in our daily lives. Is that cool? So first thing I want to look at this morning is revival culture. And I'm going to give you my definition for revival because I feel like that word gets thrown around a lot, right? You've heard it. But it's actually not in the Bible. Did you know that? And so there's no quote-unquote biblical definition for the word revival that we can point to. And when I say the word revival, probably we all have a different idea of what that looks like. Amen? So today, for, for the purposes of this sermon, I want to talk to you about revival. And when I say revival, what I mean by that is simply the church doing, getting back to doing the thing that we were put here to do in the first place. Cool? My definition for revival this morning is the church doing what we were put here to do in the first place. And the way that we can draw that plumb line is we can actually look back at the book of Acts, the early church, and we can begin to see some of the hallmarks or the fruit, if you will, of revival culture and how it affected the early believers. Amen? 
So how many of you know that the early church probably looked a lot closer, I'm just saying, probably looked a lot closer to the idea that Jesus had of the church because these guys had actually walked with him, amen? Now, let's, uh, let's turn over here. Book of Acts, this is Acts chapter 2. This is verses 42 through 47. And we're just going to read a chunk of scripture right here. Every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teaching of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayers. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All of the believers are in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, by the way. So understanding the hallmarks, we can look at this passage and actually look at the fruit of the early church, okay? So let's go through some of those. Is that all right? If you're taking notes, you can jot these down. These are, these are what I see just through reading through this passage. This is immediately after Peter has given his sermon at, on the day of Pentecost, and almost 5,000 people were added to the body. This is the next thing that the Bible has to say about that community of people, all right? Let's look at these hallmarks. Hallmarks of the early church. We see devotion, okay? They were faithfully devoted to following the, te the teaching of who? The apostles. So we see an apostolic leadership or I, and what I wrote in my notes is when, I, when we read about the apostles and apostolic leadership, what it says to me in my heart is there was order in the church, okay? So we have devotion. We have apostolic leadership. We had heart connectedness to one another. This is interesting to me that the book of Acts goes out of its way to point out that these believers were not just in this revival culture in a vacuum, in their families, in bubbles, but they were living their life in community, in open-hearted, connected heart relationship, right? So this is my plug for grace groups. If you're not in a grace group, you need to get in a grace group. Got you. There was prayer. There was a holy awe. There was miracles, signs, and wonders. When's the last time you saw a miracle, a sign, or a wonder? And no, the worship pastor preaching doesn't count. It's a bad joke. <sighs> I thought it was going to work better. You see generosity. You see celebration. They were partying, in a manner of speaking. You see praise and worship. You see that they had favor with all the people. The Bible makes it clear that this community of believers had favor with all the people, which says to me that they had influence, okay, in Jerusalem, that they were affecting positively change outside of just their religious endeavors, that they were having a positive influence on the community around them right? And then you see this, this thing of growth. The Bible makes it clear that numbers were being added to them daily. 
So what we can do with these hallmarks is we can actually create a barometer by which we can measure our own experience and we can look at the capital C church today in both our local church and even maybe our your you know your family unit is like a little church too right and we can look at our family and we can look at these hallmarks we can look at the book of acts and we can begin to measure ourselves against this founda- these foundational principles. It's like, how do we know what this church is actually supposed to look like? Well, the Bible tells us right here. All this fruit the Bible points to and says, hey, look, this is the stuff that we ought to be doing, right? It's interesting, even on that last point, growth, Jesus took... 12 men, right, that became 140 men in the upper room that became 5,000 people at Pentecost that created a movement that's lasted 2,000 years, and it's the reason that we're sitting here today. Isn't that incredible? It's a pretty crazy growth strategy, right? And you have to wonder, in this environment, like, this is a pretty thriving church, wouldn't you say? Like, whatever, whatever their internal mechanisms are that cause them to grow, it's pretty, it's working, right? And, and I think that we should look at this, and, and we, we got to ask ourselves, firstly, how are we actually doing on this stuff? Because if we look down this list and we say, yeah, we do that, but we don't do that, and that's happening, but that's not happening, it should create in us something that Pastor Jory alluded to earlier, and it should create in us hunger. We shouldn't see this in despair because we know that God can do it, amen? When we look at this, we shouldn't feel guilt or shame, we should look at it and go like, hey, I know this is possible, right? But you also have to wonder, what is the difference maker between this early church, what was growing this puppy, right? And what are we missing? What's the ingredients? So part two, we're going to get to the difference maker here. You know, it's like plain and simple, right? Part two is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Will you turn over in Luke chapter 7? I kind of want to preach with a camelback. I always put the mic down, drink the water. You know what I'm saying? Just for efficiency. It would look weird. The difference maker, simply put, firstly, let's, let's answer this question. Do you guys want to be an Acts chapter 2 church? Is that what we want to see in Dumas? Because I think that this is what Dumas, Moore County needs, right? Okay, well, let's just do something before we move on to point two. Let's literally just pray that God would make us an Acts chapter two church. How about that? Wouldn't that be good? So let's engage our hearts real quick. Father, I want you to ask him. Father, this morning we ask you, would you make us an Acts chapter two church? God, in the places where we lack, in the places where we overflow, God, I pray, even as Jory was speaking, John 7.37, we are thirsty. God, I pray that that river would flow in this room this morning. 
that it would flow in our grace groups, that it would flow in our kids' department, would flow in the youth, that it would flow in every aspect of grace through faith, fellowship in Dumas. Amen. The difference maker, the key ingredient to the growth and the function and the vibrancy and, and, and this church was fashioned by the presence of Jesus himself. My recipe for revival is hunger plus Holy Spirit equals revival. It is that simple. Do we want it? He wants it worse than we want it. He will give it to us. He said to ask for it. And when we do, we see revival. And you can see that for yourself on a personal level, which I encourage you to do. Ask him, ask him to take you into a place of personal revival. But also, if we corporately will have a mind, have a, have a hunger, have a heart to say, Holy Spirit, we want it, he will breathe on it. I get the feeling when I hear people talk about revival that we're trying to twist God's arm and get him to do something that he doesn't really want to do. God wants to move way more than we want him to move. He wants to change Dumas way more than we want him to change Dumas. He wants to change your life exceedingly more than you want to change your life. Right? So what's he waiting for? We're going to look at this passage in Luke chapter 7, and we're going to look at two heart postures where two individuals encounter Jesus, and they have very, very different, um, very, very different attitudes and reactions to who he is. And I hope that this morning, for some of us, we can step into a deeper encounter with Jesus and leave some of our baggage in our chair and walk out of this room changed today. Amen. Jesus said this in John 13. 35, he said, for when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you, that you are truly my followers. The difference in being, the, di the difference maker is being marked with his love. The difference maker is his presence, and it's him. Okay, I want to read this huge chunk of Luke chapter 7. You guys okay? This, this wrecked me this week, um, and I think it's going to wreck you too, but I'm, I'm starting in verse 36, and um, because I'm reading out of the Passion, if you don't have that, you, you might find it hard to follow along, but you can jot it down and, and, and read it later, but I really want you to catch this. Okay, afterward, a Jewish leader named Simon asked Jesus to his home for dinner. Jesus accepted the invitation. When he went to Simon's home, he took his place at the table. In the neighborhood, there was an immoral woman of the streets, known to be a prostitute. When she heard about Jesus being in Simon's house, she took an exquisite flask made from alabaster, filled it with the most expensive perfume, went right into the home of the Jewish religious leader, and knelt at the feet of Jesus in front of all the guests. Broken and weeping, she covered his feet with tears that fell from her face. She kept crying and drying his feet with her long hair. Over and over, she kissed Jesus' feet. Then she opened her flask and anointed his feet with her costly perfume as an act of worship. Now, I want to pause there, and I want for you to do this mental image. I want for you to put yourself 
in the place of this prostitute in this story. I want you to picture yourself, even, even you cowboys, what would possess you, you, to act like that? Think about it. Think about what, what could pop, you know, does someone have a gun to your wife's head? Would that get you to behave this way? What would actually motivate you, not your neighbor, not your pastor, you, to behave like that? We're going to move on. Just let that image stick in your head right there. When Simon saw what was happening, he thought, this man cannot be a true prophet. If he were really a prophet, he would know what kind of sinful woman is touching him. Careful what you think about in front of Jesus. Jesus said, Simon, I have a word for you. Go ahead, teacher. I want to hear it. He answered, It's a story about two men who were deeply in debt. One owed the bank $100,000, the other only owed $10,000. When it was obvious that neither of them would be able to repay their debts, the kind banker graciously wrote off the debts and forgave them all that they owed. Tell me, Simon, which of the two debtors would be most thankful? Which one would love the banker most? Simon responded, I suppose it would be the one with the greatest debt forgiven. You are right, Jesus agreed. Then he spoke to Simon about the woman, still weeping at his feet. This woman is still in front of all these people. Now, let's paint this picture. Simon is obviously a rich man. But the Bible makes it clear that this woman, this prostitute, was from the neighborhood. You know, it's possible, the Bible doesn't make it clear, but it's possible that this prostitute might have Simon, might have clients that are in Simon's house. You know, this is a banquet party. There's men filling this room, and, and, and this woman breaks through. And even as Jesus is relaying this parable to Simon, she is weeping in a pile at his feet, and the perfume, the fragrance is filling the room. How uncomfortable must that have made them all? There's possibly people in the room that have abused this person. She's from the neighborhood. She understands which neighborhood to go to to make the most amount of money. I think sometimes we read the Bible and we like romanticize this. You know what I mean? This is like a PBS version of Bible and this is a bad lady. No, this is a prostitute. You know how she makes her money. And as Jesus, I mean, I just like can't, I wonder if Simon just wanted to jump out of his skin, right? I, right. <laughs> Jesus says, don't you see this woman kneeling here? <laughs> of course he does. She is doing for me what you did not bother do. When I entered your home as your guest, you didn't think about offering me water to wash the dust off my feet. Yet, she came into your home and washed my feet with her many tears and dried my feet with her hair. You didn't even welcome me into your home with the customary kiss of greeting. In other words, Jesus is saying, you did not even do for me what is customary for regular people. 
You chose not even to shake my hand when I came to your house, and yet this woman has spilled something exquisite and expensive on me. It's better. But from the moment I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't take the time to anoint my head with fragrant oil, but she anointed my head and my feet with the finest perfume. She has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me such extravagant love. Watch this. But those who assume that they have very little to be forgiven of will love me very little. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, All your sins are forgiven. All the dinner guests said among themselves, Who is this? Can he even forgive sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith in me has given you life. Now you may leave and walk in new ways of peace. Let's examine the two heart postures of these two very different people. You have the woman, and you have Simon. The woman is broken. She's weeping. She's a mess. I'm assuming this is full-on ugly cry. People in church sometimes start to squirm if someone is singing too loud or worshiping too hard, much less if someone in worship begins to ugly cry next to you. You begin to inch that way. She has let loose. Whatever was holding her back, it's gone. She is living from the heart now. And Simon so badly does not want to look like he might even be giving Jesus a little bit of his attention in front of his Pharisee brothers and friends that he will not even give him what is customary. He won't do the bare minimum. He's looking for the, the, the he wants Jesus over there. He, he wants to find out about him, so he's looking and he's inching, but he doesn't want to go and touch him. The woman is breaking rules to demonstrate her love toward Jesus. And she sacrifices something very costly to show her love. But Simon won't even spare some water for Jesus to wash the dust off his feet. He wouldn't do the bare minimum. I think that Simon, we know from the scriptures that he was a religious scholar, okay? He had a relationship with the idea of God. But this woman had a relationship with God. Think about our churches today. I'm not trying to throw shade. But you cannot intellectualize a relationship. Have you tried? Of course you haven't. It's completely against who we are. We're relational beings. But if I just tried to have a relationship with the idea of my wife, I would be very disappointed in my life. Right? I don't even know what that would look like. But Simon, he knows about God. This woman knows God. Simon knows the things that God has done. This woman knows what Jesus is doing right now. Simon has a relationship 
with the rules, but this woman has a relationship with the man. Amen? Simon could not recognize what was right in front of him. This woman would give up everything for the Messiah that she had seen. I wrote, I was was writing this sermon and I wrote down this phrase and I was like, yeah, bro, that's a great one-liner. Which was, I was like, you know, we can't be in the same room with Jesus and walk away transformed. And the Holy Spirit was like, that's wrong. You know what the bummer is? You can be in the room with Jesus and walk away completely the same. Simon did not see what this woman saw. Simon could not comprehend, nor could he even begin to fathom that he was wrong. He could not get out of his boat. He was so blind that the Savior of the world, the Messiah that he had been looking for, was sitting in his dining room, and he was oblivious to it. That's wild. And it should give us some holy fear in our lives. Maybe, maybe this morning you have more of a relationship with the idea of God than you have with the person of Jesus. God wants to change all that. I'm going to move on, but God, you got to understand there's an invitation for you this morning to get out of intellectualism. It's over. That's dead religion. We've moved on. Right? Now think about this. I was... Jesus, obviously, in that very moment, some of you are thinking, I know, I can hear your thoughts, just like Jesus. Some of you are thinking, why didn't Jesus just say, hey, Simon, I'm the Messiah? That bro could have flipped a switch and gone full Mount Figuration transfiguration on Simon and blew his mind right there. In the moment, Jesus could have just gone full Super Saiyan. Ah, His power level is 5,000. The fire, the light, and Simon would have gone, wow, I was wrong. Well, obviously, I want to worship you. That's the way my brain works. Like, okay, Jesus, let's, he doesn't get it. Let's do the fireworks. Let's, you know, blow it up. And I was asking Holy Spirit about this. What I realized is, like, even most of us, it's like, yeah, if you could do that, if you could just show him how powerful you were, why wouldn't you just do it? And what, it, what I realized is that this is actually the humility of God because God doesn't want the main attribute that we know him by to be his power. Romans says that anybody with eyes or ears can look up and realize that God is powerful. The breath that Simon was sucking into his lungs was being upheld by the man that stood maybe three feet away from him. The Bible says that the witness to the power of God is self-evident, that it's already there. Well, why did he not want to reveal himself? It's because Jesus wants to be known by one attribute, and it's love. God is love. And this loving God would come to Simon, a denier's house, and sit in his dining room 
with love in his heart, as much love as Jesus had for that prostitute, he had for Simon. There is no disdain in Jesus' heart for this man that could not see. Jesus longed for Simon's eyes to be opened. And maybe Simon did eventually get saved and give his heart to Jesus. But Jesus was there to hold the door open for both of them the same. Whether you're a Simon or a prostitute this morning, the invitation is the same. The opportunity is the same. But this line right here messed me up. But those who assume they have very little to be forgiven of will love me very little. Wow. If you've ever, I don't know if you've ever met anybody. I hope you have. I meet people in ministry, out of ministry. I meet people that are on fire for Jesus, and it provokes something in my heart, you know. You run across somebody, and their love for God is just, like, outrageous, and you walk away from that going, like, who makes these people, right? And you go, you, sometimes you begin to take that personal inventory, or maybe you've even come to church and been like, I just don't feel like singing. I don't feel like worship. And you can go into your heart and check your love tank for Jesus, and if it feels kind of empty, this is why. We become disconnected. You know, the enemy is perfectly great with you being just a quote-unquote good person. He may even be perfectly great with you being a quote-unquote good Christian. Now, hear what I'm saying here. Any way that he can blind us, he will. Jesus wants us to stay connected (laughs) to the reality that Simon's sins and the prostitute's sins, they both weighed the same. They both cost the cross. They both were going to result in an eternity in hell separated from God. There's no measure for sin. It's all equals death, right? (laughs) When I read that, though, it's like, wow, am I seeing in my life, me, Bo Perkins, a lack of love for Jesus? This is the answer. I'm so, I've become disconnected from the great magnitude of the forgiveness and grace that's been poured out on my life. Love Jesus very little, you don't understand what you've been forgiven of. And what that really means is you don't think you need him. And the Bible calls that self-righteousness, which in my opinion is probably the most lethal and toxic of any sin. It's the most anti-Christ of any heart posture, the idea that we could work our way into God's good graces or maybe earn our way into heaven. Simon in this moment has no idea what he needs offloaded from his life. He does not feel the weight of sin because of the way he looks on the outside. He's a quote-unquote good person. And Jesus, with a prostitute at his feet, looks at Simon and says, Simon, she realizes that's not enough, and you don't get it. Right? Cool. Do you guys feel great now? Or 
Ultimately, just going back to this passage in John, you see in this prostitute, this woman, she is clearly marked by the love of Jesus. Right? She's become a Jesus person. (laughs) The title of my message today is A Jesus People. I think it's funny in John, Jesus didn't say, and they will know you when you follow my rules. They will know you by my rules. And I think that's a lot of the way that the church, Big C, kind of conducts ourselves, especially in the West. It's like, if we can show the world that we're really following the rules of Jesus, we'll be good. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't put the cart before the horse. They should know you by your love, by my love. Amen? This woman would never be the same. She would never treat anybody the same. She had become a Jesus person. Her whole life, for the rest of her life, was going to be about that man. Do you know anybody like that? We should model our lives after people like that. Amen? Think about, like, I was even thinking about, you know, some people get, quote, unquote, free from religion. Even this woman... When she comes into the room, she doesn't go, Simon, you're so stuffy, you're so religious, watch this. You know any Christians like that? Suddenly worship is like the place to show off. I'm like, I'm not really. She's living from the heart. This is a pure act. But the act in and of itself is a condemnation of Simon's behavior. You know, we, have to, we don't have to go out and, like, uh, condemn religion and condemn stodginess. It's like our zeal for Jesus, our passion for him, our love for him, it speaks for itself or doesn't. I, um, I'll just move to my third point here of... I want to be a Jesus people. I want us to be a Jesus people. I don't think that we're called to be good people necessarily, not in that conventional way, not in the way that blinds us to the depths of life that Jesus calls us into. I think that even when I was not a believer, I I didn't really come to have a personal relationship with Jesus until I was 17, and my idea of the church was just a bunch of don'ts and some do's. And the life that Jesus is trying to give us, the life that he's trying to call us into, he said, would be overflowing, right? That it would be vibrant, that it would be better, okay? But I feel like we're trying to get the world to get saved on this notion of like, yeah, get saved, it's going to be great. You'll never do anything fun, but you'll go to heaven. So, you know, weigh it. That's not the, Jesus, that's not the life that Jesus is offering. It's not the life that the apostles lived. Their shadows were literally healing people. Wouldn't you like that to happen to you? You There's like no course you have to take. You don't have to go to like a prayer seminar. Their shadows are just healing people. That's rad, right? So um, the reason that I kind of got on this whole trip in the first place is uh, I was driving. We've, We've lived in Dumas about a year and a bit now, and I love it, and I love you all, and you're all very beautiful. Um, this is the smallest place we've ever lived. And sometimes I feel like I stick out a little bit.
Um, I was driving and I was just having one of those moments that we all have in life where I just felt maybe lost, maybe in unseen, you know, feeling kind of crummy about life. And some days you wake up and you look around and you're like, how did I, I lived in Perth, Australia. Why do I live in Dumas now? And I, which is not a condemnation. You, you have this feeling living in New York City. It's, we all have it, right? We all feel lost sometimes. And I did a smart thing for once, and I began to speak to Holy Spirit about, why do I feel this way? And the Holy Spirit, in, in, that, in that way that he comes with the voice of the Father, he just said, Bo, remember, you belong to me, and you belong to my kingdom. And it centered something in me that I realized, of all the things that I am not and all the things that I am, I am a Jesus person. And what was beautiful about that moment for me is it centered me. It, it, it gave me a context and a purpose for how to just live life that one day. And I realized that this is, an, this is for all of us today. Even if you've never been a quote-unquote Jesus person, if you've never considered yourself that, do you know you can be that today with no effort of your own except to embrace? You see, because we talked earlier about how the Holy Spirit has taken this group of 5,000 into a global movement. And the Holy Spirit has a very specific strategy of how to grow the kingdom of God. And his strategy is the same for every single person on earth. You see, the Holy Spirit comes to you, and the Holy Spirit will remind you of your origin. The Holy Spirit can show you that for every, for all of us, for you, for me, for all of us, there's a seat at the table of God with your name on it. You alone can occupy that seat, and whether you've sat there before or not, that seat is still there with your name on it. The Holy Spirit, his strategy for growing the kingdom is to remind us all that the first thing we are, not our job, not our relationship to our family, not our gifting, none of that is bigger than the fact that we are children of God and that Jesus has loved us the same way that he loved this prostitute and the same way that he loved Simon, whether we recognized it or not. There's something so beautiful about finding the depth of your identity and belonging to him. Nobody can touch that. Nobody can take that away. Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms, and one got your name on it. It's <laughs> good, dude. Psalm 139 says, before you were even born, I knew you. <laughs> I like that idea that the same love that Jesus looked at this prostitute with, he looked at Simon with, they had the same opportunity. It was all in how they wanted to respond to it. I guarantee you that that, that, pro, that former prostitute's life after these moments with Jesus 
was way more exciting, way more fascinating, and way more fulfilling than anything Simon would have gone on to do if he just remained a Pharisee. Cool. When I was dreaming up this sermon, I just prayed for chains to break. I just prayed that people would really step into their identity. I think one of the reasons that God moved me here to do this is so that it would be really hard for me to find my identity in anything but God. And that's an unshakable reality. When you realize, I'm a Jesus person, how do I find my place in the world? How do I fit? What's my purpose? Your primary purpose in life is to be loved by God and to love him back. <laughs> when your life is over, when this you know, blip is gone and we're in the new millennium, when we're in the new eternity, you will love God and be loved by God. You won't be known by what's in your bank account or what car you drive. You won't be known by the trophies on your wall or your accolades. All that will fade into a far distant memory, and all you will know is the love of God and loving him back. It's <laughs> good. I just want to give you an opportunity right now. Holy Spirit is in the room. The Bible says that Holy Spirit's primary job is to to tell us the things of Jesus, to take the things of Jesus and to declare them to us. I just want you to close your eyes. Do a little soul searching right now. Based on everything we've looked at and talked about this morning, where's your hunger at? Where's your conviction at? Where are you spending your passion today? What would compel you to behave like this prostitute? What would it take? Holy Spirit. There's an invitation in the room this morning. The Bible says that we should lay aside every burden and run the race. There's an invitation to get into the race this morning. Sometimes I think we think that word burdens just means sin. It's not true. It's anything. What's weighing you down this morning from the freedom of knowing that you belong to him and that's enough? That every other thing is ancillary.
Holy Spirit. I'm going to invite the worship team. And uh, before we move into communion and, and, and close down this service, I'm just going to let the worship team lead us out, and we're going to turn the lights on, all the moody, moody, moody blues lights. But I want for you, if you need to respond to Jesus, get into whatever posture you need to get into and have that conversation. And it really matters this morning. It's like we said earlier, Jesus can be in the room and we can all go away the same way we came in. That's up to us. My encouragement this morning is just begin to engage him. Speak to him like he's a real person, like he can hear you. Begin to enter in to faith, to that space where you speak to him and you allow him to speak back to you. He's called us to be a people marked by love. A people marked by forgiveness, by radical grace. A free people. A people in love. Let's go ahead and stand, if you would.